Welcome to the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, where we talk strength training, science, and all things performance for cyclists and triathletes, helping you be a stronger, more savvy athlete now and for many years to come. Here's your host, Menachem Brody. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 156 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about five steps to your best year yet. This is a culmination of the last 20 plus years as a cyclist, triathlete for those two or three years, uh, and a coach for cyclists and triathletes that I've uh, accrued. And uh, what's really important about this episode is this is not just my experience. This is a culmination of, at this point, the thousands of cyclists and triathletes that I've coached. Um, yes, really thousands. Um, and there have been, I'd say probably two or 300 that I've worked extremely close with for at least six months um, individually. So this is a lot of experience. These are trends that hold true and things that can really help you. Now, before we get into today's episode, let's do a quick update for the last week here at Human Vortex Training. The week of March, or I'm sorry, February 26th or 27th, uh, 2023, uh, my wife and I, it's been a really rough uh, six weeks here with uh, me tearing the bicep and what that meant for our life uh, and our day-to-day, essentially having a one-hand man around who's not really useful for the first three and a half, four weeks. So we decided to take a long weekend. We uh, actually drove down to the Dead Sea for an overnight stay. Uh, Kiddo had an absolute blast. He went into the water. It was so cool. It was just uh, amazing to to see his face. Uh, He also had a blast with the giant balls of sand and the pool. Uh, He loved the pool. Uh, Just a great time uh, to get away. And I would encourage uh, each one of you out there, it may not seem like much to go away for a day and night and most of the next day only to drive back. But if you can, that little break can do wonders for you. Uh, it really allows you time away. Uh, I just put everything down. I had the, I was going to record this on Friday and just said, you know what, it's going to have to go out late because uh, I need to put me first. And occasionally that happens. Uh, and in our lives, especially as endurance athletes, as the season ramps up, we tend to get swept away in the busyness of the season and sometimes just taking a break from it all. Yes, leaving the bike behind and just going somewhere or maybe taking your mountain bike instead of your road bike and exploring can be an absolute wonderful reset. Now, aside from that, the last week, the national team, uh, we had three racers competing in Indonesia. They're actually the first Israeli athletes to complete under the Israeli flag in Indonesia ever. Um, Yaakov, uh, Yakovovich uh, took third in the Kirin, and we had, uh, unfortunately, a crash in the Madison uh, so one of the riders is recovering, and then in the elimination race, uh, rider took ninth. So we're seeing huge progress, and um, I'm going to do this in, in a more formal matter in a couple of episodes. But essentially, I've had a couple of people ask me, you know, they only finished tenth at the European Championships. You know, why are you so excited? Like, dude, this is the third year this program has ever existed. And it's not like it's existing because there were riders here who were training elsewhere. Like, this is starting from scratch. And it is an absolute huge, huge deal in an Olympic points year to finish that high against past 
and current Olympic champions and world champions. I mean, it is something that I think a lot of people miss. Uh, and again, we'll talk about this in an uh, upcoming episode, but it is something that's important to mention because uh, there's so much that we tend to miss uh, due to it not being what we would have society or others deem as success. And that's a key tenet for today's episode of Your Best Year Yet, Five Steps. We're talking about your best year. We're talking about consistency. We're talking about health. We're talking the ability to wake up enthused and energized most days and to feel good, look good, move well, and to have fun out on the bike or out in your swim bike run. So we're not talking about first place, personal best, because that is something that so many outside uh, influences can help or hurt us. The wind, numerous flats, uh, forgetting a shoe at the hotel and then having to go back and rushing to the start line when you had gotten there initially two and a half hours uh, early so you had the best parking spot. There are things that happen outside of our control. Of course, you could say the shoe is within your control, but... There's so many things that can happen. We really first need to frame this. And this is why I mentioned uh, the finish for the national team and how good that is when you actually look at, like, historically, what other program has accomplished that in its third year of existence or even its sixth year. It, It is incredibly rare. And you have to take a step back from, okay, most people would say, Placing first, second, or third in in my category would be my best year yet. Or most people would say that doing a personal best power output. Well, what if you do your best and it's really windy and you don't have a personal best for power output? Or what if you do your your absolute best and the break just goes early and, you know, that's against all odds of being normal, uh, the break going in the first five kilometers and it goes. You have to be able to take that step back and think about what would give me the best year. So that's going to frame our conversation for today is take 10 minutes, take 15 minutes, take a pad of paper. I don't know if you can hear that. Take a pad of paper that we have right here. Write it down. What would be things that would lead you to understand that you had your best year yet. And I mean, look back at how many rides you've missed in the past. Don't just look at kilometers biked. Look at adventures. How many times did you get to ride your favorite route without getting sick of it? How many times did you get to go out on a sunset ride? How many night rides did you get in? Um, How many group rides with your favorite group did you get in? How many rides were you able to do that you had planned uh, consistently? And for the things when, when life happened and you couldn't get out at the consistency you wanted, you had to miss a ride, how many of those happened but you managed to stay on track? Now, if you come into the rest of this episode with that frame, you will easily understand the nuggets of wisdom in between these five points. And I'm not saying that I'm the wisest coach out there. This is a culmination of not only my athletes and, and those I've worked with, also other coaches I've spoken to. These are the trends between myself, my clients, my athletes, and other great coaches that I I talk with regularly. These are the trends that have popped up. So step number one to your best year yet is now here, the end of February, beginning of March, decide on your weekly training 
and strength schedule or rhythm right now. This is a mistake a lot of us make is we get into segmenting our world too much. We look at base period and then spring and summer and then fall. We want to look at a long-term approach. And this is what I do with, and I talk about this in the strength training for cyclists certification course. Uh, I talk about this in the strength training for cycling success and strength training for triathlon success courses over on training peaks, uh, as well as the stronger after 50 course. Every single course talks about looking at your year and then breaking it down into chunks. Yes, we need to have those chunks, but there should be an ebb and flow. Now, I've openly admitted that I don't do a fully detailed annual training plan, but I know when the peak competitions are. I know when the athletes need to ride well. I know when my clients are due to have their big event and have fun. And what I do is I look out between 12 and 16 weeks at a time to figure out what should the rhythm ideally look like for this person. And that's what you want to look at as well. So March, April, and May, and let's say June, what should your weekly training, what's a reasonable and what's a reach? What would that routine or rhythm look like? And alongside that, you've got to keep the strength training. So many of us, as soon as the weather turns nice, and I'm totally guilty of this, the first two years I was riding, I, I dropped the weights. This is where I learned all these hard lessons that I teach to you guys here. And in the courses, is this is stuff that I learned not only with myself, but also my athletes. You've got to be consistent. And what that means is when it's time, when it's nice outside in the winter, and I, I tell all of my clients this, if it's nice and sunny and warm or it's a good day, go out and ride however you want. And we will make it up in the winter. We will fix it later in the week because you've got to seize those days, seize those moments, seize those mornings or evenings or afternoons, if it may be in the fall or winter, that you can go out and just ride. And I don't care what you do. You come back and you did two hours at steady state. Well, first of all, probably not your steady state, but second of all, did you have fun not being on the trainer? Yes. Fantastic. Your enthusiasm is up. We have recharged your mental batteries. And then when the third horrible storm of the season comes across the sweeping across the whole U.S. from west to east, we can deal with the minus 45 wind chill because you have to be on the trainer for four days because we've got that two hours in the bank. But when we get into the spring and summer, it gets much more easy to understand the weather and to ride with it. And I just spoke with somebody today uh, on uh, Zoom from, uh, from the UK, you know, and his comment towards the end was like, if you live in the UK and you're not okay riding in the rain, then you're pretty much stuck inside all winter and most of the year. And it was a great point because, uh, and I mentioned a, a rider that I rode with many years ago from the Netherlands when other people on my team were like, oh, it's raining, I don't want to go out. And it's like 74 and, and you know, it was kind of cold rain. It was windy. But me and him are standing there addressed and we're like, you're kidding, right? Like, you'd rather get on the trainer than ride in rain. Not going to melt. And as we get into the spring, deciding on your weekly training and strength schedule or rhythm now is going to allow you to have less use up of that mental energy I just talked about when the weather turns. Now, of course, we're not talking about riding in a severe thunderstorm with high winds and, and flash flooding, right? We're not talking about that. We're talking about the weather. You have good daylight. You have a safe route. You know the route well. You can get out, but it's raining. When you decide on your weekly training schedule now, you have made it much easier mentally to figure out how to get the ride in and to get yourself to do it. 
because you're like, okay, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, that is my writing schedule. And then on Tuesday or on Monday and Thursday is my strength training. So Wednesday is my real off day. Well, it's Tuesday. I've got to get this ride in because I can't do it tomorrow. Tomorrow's my off day. And Friday's a day that I, I usually need after my sessions because I know that I'm going into the weekends. So I'm going to go out. It really sets the table for you to use less mental energy. It's just like uh, the president's uh, having someone set out their suits and all they have to pick, and sometimes they, they don't even do this, they pick the color of their tie for the day. They get pink, green, that's it. They have one of two. Other times it's chosen for them because they know that there is decision fatigue. And Charles Duhigg talks about this in his book, The Power of Habit. So if you want to dive deeper into step number one of deciding your weekly training and strength training rhythm now, that would be a good place for it. Now the strength training, in through the spring, up until May, you should still be doing twice a week strength training. And this is where the time of year that you should be lifting heavy stuff is happening. And this goes all the way actually until July for most of us that are not world tour or pro continental riders. March, April, May are some of our heaviest lifting months. And then June, July, we're doing one week, one day a week heavy and the other day is a movement session or a lighter session that allows us to be out on the road doing the things we want, but we're in the gym. So deciding those days now will allow you to have a much easier job of staying consistent with it. And this is really important because the strength training changes that you've been working so hard, all of the hours in the gym, the attention to detail, the attention to how you're moving, where you're getting the movement from, as well as putting in the work to have good rest periods to work periods is going to allow you to see results through the entire season only if you continue it, let's say up until July. You get lax or you really don't feel like being in the gym July and August, I don't blame you. We can put together a small routine with a medium weight kettlebell and your body that takes you 25 minutes and keep you relatively sharp and enjoying July, August. But you've got to set the rhythm now. This all ties into all of the changes that have happened to your body over the months of the winter. You've been riding your bike on your trainer. Most of us these days, higher intensity intervals with some longer rides thrown in when we can. And this means that the strength training, paying attention to the positions, the breathing, and everything that you've been doing, there have been a lot of structural changes in your body. Some of the muscles that were tight and short at the beginning of the fall have now gotten to a more regular or even resting, uh, resting zone, so to speak. And your ability to have good, solid breathing has improved as well since we've improved your posture and the ability to keep tension and produce movement. This means that step number two is an absolute must in the next month and a half. March and April, get a bike fit, get dialed in. This is where a lot of us tend to think, oh, I'll just drop the handlebars or, oh, I get more aggressive. I'll bring the seat up a little bit. But now is the time that you want to have a bike fit done. Even if it's a short bike fit to allow you to get dialed in, these small changes in your positioning will help take into account all of the changes that you've had over the winter of work that you've put in, as well as looking at how your ride position might actually need to be changed again in about six to eight weeks once you get some outdoor rides and are off the trainer or rollers. A good fitter will ask you to come back after six to eight weeks if you've been riding on the trainer most of the time for the last few months and that's what you share with them. This is where it's important to share the details with your bike fitter. It can be something as simple or as cheesy as this, depending on how you'd like to term it. Hey, I listened to this podcast. This guy talks about how we should have a bike fit now, so I'm coming in to see you. 
The last eight weeks have been mostly on the trainer. I have got two or three outdoor rides, mostly endurance with some threshold when the weather was nice, but I'd really like to have all the changes in my body taken into account by dialing in my fit now. It could be as simple as that or as cheesy, depending on how you want to put it. A good bike fitter will not just throw you up on the stand. They're actually going to watch and look at how you're moving. They might have you walk down and back. They might have you jump, squat, do a hinge, do a press up or a push up for those of us outside of the UK, or just have you go ahead and, and do a couple different exercises or balancing things. This is fantastic. The bike fitter is trying to understand your body strategies on how to move. Then they might even put you onto a table, a clinic table to look at your hips, both active and passive, as well as to see how your body's able to deal with different types of stresses and forces that are outside of the riding movement. All of this is really important because the rider and the bike should be as one with the bike being fit to you, not you being fit to the bike. This is an important part of the equation that many of us miss, especially this time of year as we're thinking about the events we want to go to, the pieces of the bike we want to upgrade. Oftentimes, a bike fitter will make a suggestion for a new saddle, new seat post, new pair of handlebars, or even a new stem. Now is not the time to cut back and, oh, I'll do it in a couple weeks. Now, obviously, there's nothing wrong, and I do encourage being financially mindful. So if it seems expensive and a little bit higher than normal price, it may be worthwhile for you to purchase it somewhere else. At the same time, you're also supporting that bike fitter. So usually we want to pay attention to what the bike fitter is suggesting and you can have a conversation with them about price, about the angle, or any other thing that you may feel you might want to dial in a little bit more. A good fitter will have a great explanation and reasoning for every single change that they make. For example, for me, I rode on my Giant Propel with the stock saddle for about two years, even after the bike fitter suggested I change the bike. Why did I change it? Well, I was lazy. I had the saddle at home, but every time I'd go to see him or I went past the bike fit studio, I'd either <laughs> purposely or not purposely forget to bring the saddle. The purposefully, well, I was really tight on time and I, the first time I stopped by, he had someone on the fit stand and he just couldn't do it. I hate riding with the saddle in my back pocket and well, I'm human, let's face it. We all do silly things, case in point. <laughs> But once the new saddle was put on, it was like a brand new machine. My watts went up 7 watts for my FTP. My VO2 max went up even more because I was able to hold my position on the bike. And guess what I thought? You are so silly. Why would you not just wait or schedule with him and take the saddle with you? Why would you put it off for three years? That is the silliest thing you could do. Free watts, free comfort, and longer rides. So yeah, I get it. It is not the easiest thing to go on the bike fit and to have things changed on your bike, but the results in less pain, more power, and more control are well worth it. Now, having to do with getting more control and more power is not just getting you and your bike on point. It's not just about your weekly training schedule or your strength training. It's not just about getting the, the fit on the bike and having the bike fit to you but it's also about setting up your sleep routine and sleep hygiene. Now, I'm not gonna go too far into the weeds here with this one. Uh, we have talked about this in the past a little bit, and we do have an upcoming guest this uh, late spring, early summer that will talk about this. But essentially, setting up your sleep routine can be as simple as putting together what the last hour or 45 minutes before you fall asleep is like. 
Ideally, we want to have a routine bedtime. Now, anybody else out there who has a young child or a child under the age of 12 knows that that can be a big challenge. Things happen. Also, this is where maybe once a month or once every two weeks, having a date night with your significant other or with your friends to go out socially might not be a bad thing where you kind of let that sleep routine fall back an hour or two so that you're able to have social and connection from that standpoint, which can also serve you extremely well especially when we as endurance athletes tend to disappear off the map when the weather gets nice because we want to get up early, much earlier than most people, in order to go ride our bikes or swim, bike, run. I didn't forget you triathletes. Setting the sleep routine is as simple as one, two, three. One, set a sleep time plus or minus 30 minutes. This means that you are in bed with a book or a Kindle or a magazine, allowing you to be able to wind down and forget the day. No cell phones. Yes, I know the kids have to text you or something else is going on at work, but the 30 minutes before your bedtime should be seen as I am asleep. If you're messaging me at 9.30 at night, something can wait until the morning unless it's an absolute emergency, which most times it will not be. Once you have that bedtime set, the next part is to make sure that the room is cold and dark. There is a lot of research out there that talks about this. In fact, you have heard of this uh, back on episode, I think it was 86 with Colin McKenna, where we talked about the importance of not just his strength training, but his overall routine. Cold and dark doesn't mean freezing cold. Somewhere between 60 and 65 degrees Fahrenheit should be about right. You can check that lower number, but essentially we want it to be pretty cool. 60 to 65 is a lot cooler than most people. Um, many people will be between 70 uh, 67 and 70, that's fine as well, but essentially we want it to be cool in the room and then you can get warm under the covers. The next part to this is making sure that you have plants in the bedroom. Things like mother-in-law's tongue, English ivy, peace lily, and lavender can do wonders. These plants are great not only for cleansing the air and producing fresh oxygen while you're sleeping, but also for producing smells such as the lavender, and an environment that will help you get more out of your deep sleep. There are a number of studies that have been done on these plants that you can look up on your own, but make sure you're paying attention to not buy a plant that is going to be a problem if you have young children, cats, dogs, or other animals around the house, as some of these plants may be poisonous onto the aforementioned, especially the loved ones we do not want to have. And yes, cats and dogs are loved ones. So pay attention to what you are putting into your house. Um, so I couldn't have peace lily for many, many years because I had cats. Uh, and then when I moved abroad, I chose not to get a cat. Uh, and it is a wonderful plant to have around. Absolutely wonderful when it blooms uh, here in the spring. So those are the three points for your sleep. Make sure it's dialed in. A dark, cold room. And now dark, what I mean by that is any flashing lights should be covered. Uh, there's tons of electronics now that have red lights, green lights, whatever it may be. We really don't want to have a TV in the bedroom. Uh, the TV should be for sleep, changing clothing, and sex. That's it. Those are the three things. Um, other than that, uh, the room should be dark. Uh, so it could be, you know, you can put uh, eye covers on, but we want it to be dark. That darkness has a big impact on the internal environment, the uh, hormonal status. So cold and dark kind of lets our bodies go into reset mode. So these are the three keys. The last one is the plants. And we also have the uh, sleep routine as well. So no phone, read a book or a Kindle or a magazine. 
with a regular light. I know LED lights are very popular now. We actually replaced uh, the light fixtures in the bedrooms with um, ceiling fans. And it was actually impossible for us to find classic incandescent bulbs uh, version of the ceiling fan. So we went with the LED, but what we do is we'll use that uh, only until about seven or eight, and then we will only use the um, the table lamps, which have incandescent bulbs. The reason for that is the LED bulbs, I'm just not sure about what their uh, effect is on the sleep pattern. I know that some of them are blue light, yellow light, white light. Uh, I just prefer the incandescent. I know that's a very calming effect, that yellow, um, but you can look into that on your own. All right, so to recap, the first three steps of the five steps to your best year yet, decide on your weekly training schedule and strength schedule rhythm now for the next three months, if not longer. That's step number one. Step number two, get a bike fit and get dialed in. Step number three is set your sleep routine and sleep hygiene. So having a regular bedtime, no cell phones or screens for at least 30 minutes, preferably an hour or longer, having a dark, cold room to sleep in, as well as having plants in the bedroom. Now don't go crazy with the plants, just one or two should be fine. Uh, again, make sure you're looking to make sure that uh, none of the animals or youngins are going to be in trouble if they decide to eat that plant. And there's a couple others. These are the four that are the most common that I suggest. Um, the English ivy, the mother-in-law's tongue, and the peace lily are very easy to care for. The lavender you will only be able to get if you have direct sunlight. So like we, right now, our new apartment, uh, we cannot have lavender, which is a bummer. Both my wife and I really like it, but we have zero direct sunlight. So that thing would die. So we are not having that. Number four, and this one, I think a number of us have the best intentions and we, we tend to set it, but we don't follow it because we kind of go spur of the moment. So this ties back to number one. But step number four is deciding on your monthly focuses now. And what I mean by that is your on bike and strength training. So the strength training will depend on which stage you're in. So most of you should be uh, essentially in hypertrophy or max strength for the next three months. Um, so that's where you want to focus for your strength training. So it means if you are doing that, that is what you are doing. Keep the main thing the main thing. Don't go, oh, I'm going to do three sets of five as my working set for squats and then do three sets of 15 of lunges because I need strength endurance. No, stick with your hypertrophy. And for those of you out there, you know that 15 reps is hypertrophy anyhow. Um, so the hypertrophy range is anywhere from 5 to 15, depending on the scale that you follow, 4 to 12 or 5 to 15. I consider 15 still to be in the hypertrophy range, but you get the idea. So keep the main thing the main thing. Make sure you're planning your, your focus in the month for the next three months now. So March for many of you, um, if you're following the HVT approach here, will be like a max strength hypertrophy. It can be a blend of those two over the next two months where you do hypertrophy first and then max strength. No, you're not going to get bulky. It's just the sets and reps and what we're programming the muscles to do. We're getting more uh, myofibrillar connection. So we're trying to get uh, myofibrillar hypertrophy. This is where the connectivity, or excuse me, the, the contraction abilities of the fibers will improve because they're getting denser. So we're going to be really strong. Think like Bruce Lee. Dude was not huge, but he was super powerful. That's what we're going for. The monthly focus on the bike can be either FTP or VO2 max. It could be anaerobic power. It could be sprinting. But choose your focus now because this is what happens for most 
self-coached athletes. You start to see results in something and they change it. Like, I'm going to do more. Choose your focus. If you want to do the classic periodization of three weeks on, one week off, then choose that for the month. It doesn't matter what type of periodization, but choose your focus and stick to your plan. When you start to see results, is not the time to add more or change it up. It is working. Now, some people these days, especially in social media, will tell you, oh, but you need to refine. Find, find the nominal gains. And the number of people who have been thrown off track by trying to find the nominal gains with their mental energy being wasted and losing the momentum and the results they've had is way higher than those who have actually seen results. If you have three or four years of training logs or more that are written out and you can understand how to look back and mine them for gold, M-I-N-E, going back and seeing what worked, what really helped me before. Oh, I added uh, a green smoothie during my VO2 max block, and that really helped my recovery because I also added, uh, uh, I don't know, um, almond milk instead of milk. I'm just making stuff up here. But looking back at your training log that you kept written, you know, notes in, not just, you know, what rides did you do, but what were you actually doing outside of that will allow you to understand and focus uh, understand what should the focus be and what are the things that I can do to help with these. So as you can tell, this isn't as ironed out as the set your sleep routine and get a bike fit dialed in because there's so many different variables for this one. But really, choose a focus for a month. VO2 max, lactate threshold, uh, if you still want to call it that, anaerobic capacity, all-out sprints, 30-second all-out. Choose your focus and stick with it. Now this ties into our... Last step, step number five, which we'll get into in just a second. There are those two seconds. And that is do the one to two things that you dislike or suck at. And this is something that I see with master's athletes all the time. I talk about this uh, just a very little bit in the Stronger After 50 course. Uh, And that is you've got to do the things that you don't like. So for many of us after the age of 30, we just lose or see a decrease in that outer competitiveness where we don't really care that much, like the town science sprint and stuff like that. Like we're just like, eh, let the youngins have at it. I'm getting my workout in. I I know what I need to do. But the other side of that, as Joe Friel points out in his book, Faster After 50, is that a lot of it is we just, it hurts. And to put ourselves into that hurt for these short, hard efforts, in particular, under two minutes, is really difficult. VO2 max, many of us see the reward in that, but the body's energy systems work as a continuum. So if you don't continue to develop those one to two things that you dislike or you suck at, the rest of the stuff is going to get harder. This is where the heavy strength training can come in. A number of us really like lifting heavy, but only in the winter. But guess where the results are? If you do it through the year and you've built up your body's ability to absorb and digest that strength training stress, it has some of the biggest rewards for you by pairing that with some of your higher volume weeks. It doesn't mean you can do the exact same training volume or training uh, workout that you did in the winter, but when you pare it down, and I, I share how to do this essentially in the Strength Training for Cycling Performance book, when you learn how to pare it down and get that, that strength training session down to a dynamic warm-up and two or three exercises, and you're doing relatively heavy stuff based on how you feel that day, RPE, the results are phenomenal. And people are like, I can't believe I avoided doing strength training. 
all these years. All the gains were right here. I'm riding my best. I'm lifting my heaviest in the gym based on feel. It may not be my all-time numbers. My all-time numbers tend to be higher in the winter or early spring. That's where the results are, guys and girls. That's where it is. You got to do the one, two, two things that you dislike or suck at but you need to do them in a way that you will know that there's going to be a reward. So this ties back into deciding on your monthly focuses in that a sneaky way that I do this, now it's no longer going to be sneaky because a number of my clients and athletes past and present are regular listeners here, is I will put in these efforts in as quote unquote warmups. So we'll do three by one minute fast pedals. That's our you know one of our go-tos here, fast pedals and spin-ups because it's nervous system, deep tissue, uh, full body connection, neuromuscular warm-up, gets a little bit of everything. And then I'll throw in a couple 30-second to two-minute efforts as warm-ups. But those warm-ups tend to go from two to three efforts to three to five efforts. Then two to three efforts in the warm-up, and then, hey, we're going to do a cool-down with these two or three efforts. And because the mind frame for it is, oh, it's just a warm-up. Oh, it's just a cool-down. They're way more receptive to it. Now, what's different between them and you is that I'm working with them as their coach. So it's essentially they're being guided. Whereas for yourself, if you put it in, you're like, oh, I'm going to trick myself. No, you're not. You know darn well what's going on. However, when you put these things in and you get a little bit of exposure at a time, you get a better feel for what your body actually can and can't do. Now, the tough part is making sure that you give each effort an honest effort. So I know a number of riders, they come to me and their 20-second efforts aren't that great when they're doing them on their own. And I can see that. The heart rate doesn't go as high as it should. The power is not as high as you'd expect based on what they've done in events or in group rides where it's competitive. And then I prescribe them. And all of a sudden, the numbers go up. They're like, wow, I haven't seen a number like that since my race last year. Like, yeah, but you've been doing these for three months. So you can't trick yourself but you can allow yourself to say, okay, I need to give my best effort three times at the beginning of the workouts, it's two workouts during the week, and let's say one during the weekend. You have now gotten three, six, nine different 20-second to 30-second efforts. So you're doing the things that you dislike or suck at, but you're slowly creating that mind-muscle connection, and you're slowly creating the ability for you to go there. But these are the things that you want to do. Now, I include in the one to two things that you dislike or suck at I include here stretching, static stretching after your rides, after your strength training, not at the beginning. These are things that a number of riders uh, should do at, as the season ramps up, uh, but many don't. Now, I have been on the podcast before and I've said, don't waste your time doing tons and tons of static stretching. I still stand by that statement because many riders and triathletes do way too much stretching. Simply stretching a muscle is not going to address the issue. It's actually usually not going to help that much. Now, exceptions being, if you have a acute injury, so like my bicep tendon tear, I need to stretch. My pec minor, super tight. My right shoulder is all types of out of whack. So I need to do stretching daily, but I'm pairing that with exercises that are strengthening the muscles that have been elongated and allowing my body to remember how to move the joint. Now, the same thing applies to what you're doing. So for those that I've coached or those of you who have taken any of the programs that I've made, Stronger After 50 Strength Training Series um, or, or System rather, uh, or any of those up on Training Peaks, you'll know that there's a movement day. Those tend to be on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Those sessions are very short, between 15 and 20 minutes. Some of it is dynamic stretching. 
Some of it is foam rolling, other of it is exercises, strength training exercises for after your riding or on a rest day, such as a Friday, to allow you to be able to move, feel, and function better. I don't like calling those functional exercises because really what we're doing is just trying to remind the body after being on the bike or having a rest day before being on a lot of swim bike run, hey, these are things that are important. This is how you are best going to function body. You're gonna work better when everything is in its right position because joint position dictates muscle function. So that is going to be our last step. Do the one to two things you dislike or suck at. So to recap, five steps to your best year yet. Number one, decide on your weekly training and strength schedule now. Number two, get a bike fit, get dialed in. Number three, set your sleep routine and get your sleep hygiene on point with a dark, cold room and some plants and making sure that you're winding down at least 45 minutes before bed and no screens. Number four, decide on your monthly focuses now and stick to your plan as you go forward, especially when it's working. Stick to your plan, follow it through for those four weeks. Number five, do the one to two things that you dislike or suck at. So what do you guys think? Does this make sense to you? Have you found any of these to be a secret weapon for you or a secret ingredient? Shoot me an email, Brody, B as in boy, R-O-D as in dog, I-E, at humanvortextraining.com, Brody at humanvortextraining.com. So next week, we have a fantastic guest uh, as going to help you understand kind of the thought process we've started here. And I've got you thinking about how to plan your best year yet. But next week, our guest, and I'm not going to reveal who, uh, it's a fantastic interview, is going to talk about our biases that we have in making decisions and how to make better decisions. This is an absolutely fantastic episode, and I'm really excited to share with you guys and gals. She is a phenomenal guest expert not in the cycling or triathlon world. I don't think she's ever been on any other endurance sport athlete podcast ever. I actually haven't seen her on any of those. Uh, I came across her through my investing practice and my mentor and coach there. And uh, it was a really great conversation. So lots of great stuff coming your way, but you've got to do your homework. So it's a short week. Today is Tuesday when we post this episode on February 28th. You have a short week to do the homework and put together the five steps to your best year yet. And then make sure you're subscribing, giving us a follow on whatever platform you listen, because next week's episode 157 is going to help you go back through your decision-making process, help you have a better mental mind frame on how to make decisions, as well as a step-by-step process and pauses to help you shake out any biases or mistakes that you may have, which will allow you to have a better outcome and a better decision-making process, whether it's for your training, investing, or any other part of life. So until next time, remember, train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you. Have a great week, guys and gals, and I will see you on Sunday. That's it for this episode. Check out humanvortextraining.com for more great content and to keep learning. 